Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Tennis Fanalyst podcast. I'm Marcus Ali. Joining me is the Lloyd Harris to my Aslan Karatsev. It's Michael Gillett down in sunny Bournemouth, fresh off the back of a lovely run across the beach. I'm not jealous at all, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, very, very good. If you're not jealous, then you're foolish because it was a beautiful evening down on the beach today. And now sitting back with a nice Bournemouth to my side, uh, looking forward to talking about some of the tennis this week. Been some really, really interesting results and some players that I think uh, are doing really well that we've wanted to see do well for, for a little while now. And um, yeah, there's been some good things coming out of the week. So the two ATP 500 tournaments, you'll already know if you listened to our last episode or have been following the tour, of course, but are in Acapulco in Mexico and Dubai. We're going to start in Acapulco because there is a match ongoing at the semi-final stage in Dubai as we record. And we're at the semi-final stage. It's going to take place, uh, well, through the night um, from our perspective. We're at the semi-final stage. We've got Stefanos Sitsa past the top seed taking on the surprise package of the tournament, a player that we've definitely um, had at the back of our mind since he made a really encouraging run at the Rome Masters last year. And that was, that's Lorenzo Massetti beating Stanislas Varenka and Kanishi Kori that week. He's ended, ended up topping that massively this week, still with a ranking of 120 in the world. Um, you know, the 19-year-old has really stolen the show in Acapulco um, but there is a second semi-final of course maybe not as as interesting it's Dominic Kirkfer the world number 71 uh, knocked out Britain's Cameron Norrie in the quarter-final and also Milos Raonic uh, along the way in this tournament so a very good week for the German and he faces his compatriot and second seed Alexander Zverev in that semi-final um, just quickly um, just what, what have you made of the tournament I know it's been definitely a, an enjoyable one in the last few years with a lot of big players coming in and, and taking the crown. I think that the big three have been pretty dominant in, in Acapulco with the exception of that Nick Kyrgios uh, title win in recent years. But Tsitsipas has, has had some difficult matches along his way. and uh, But, you know, he's, he's fitting the bill as, as top seed. And I know we both picked him to, to win the tournament at the start of the week. Uh, how are you feeling about that one? Yeah, it's um, definitely a, a good field in the semi-finals. Um, Sitsipas is definitely one of the standout players of the year so far with that uh, win over Nadal at the Australian being uh, the match of the year so far, in my opinion. Um, yeah, and, and Lorenzo Massetti, uh, really pleased to see him do well. Um, it's at the back end of last year when the tennis came up on the clay courts. Very new name, uh, as you say, those brilliant wins in Rome. Also made the semi-finals of Sardinia, which I believe was a, a 250. Um, you know, and then since then, I, I feel that I haven't really heard his name much recently. But then just sort of looking at his results, he's been playing a lot on the Challenger circuit. He's actually made a couple of finals on the Challenger circuit this year uh, in Antalya and Biela. Um, and yeah, a, a fantastic week. Uh, beating Diego Schwartzman in the first round, you know, a top, top tenner. Uh, if Schwartzman is still in the top 10 yet, ninth in, in the world sportsman. And uh, that big win against Grigor Dimitrov, who has been one of the, the form players of the year going far at the Australian Open. Uh, really, really uh, 
impressing me this year, Grigor Dimitrov. So uh, very impressed to see Massetti backing up those results that he showed on a clay court last year, now on a hard court in Acapulco, because it's something we talk a lot about on this podcast is it's one thing being able to perform well on clay, but you've got to back it up on the other surfaces if you really want to get somewhere. And, you know, Schwartzman, Tiafo and Dimitrov, uh, Dimitrov in straight sets as well. Uh, fantastic stuff. I mean, he's also a qualifier, um, won three matches to qualify. So six matches, uh, six wins down the line. Really, really impressed with Massetti this week. And um, I think he could be a real handful for Sitsipas. I definitely make Sitsipas favourite for that, uh, just because of sort of the, the sheer quality that we've seen from Sitsipas this year. Um, but then he did have that loss. Last week, Sitsipas, uh, to, that was to Herbert. And, and I did watch some of that match, and he, he did look brilliant in that match, to be honest. So um, I've got to say, he, he's got to be careful in this semi-final tonight against Massetti, uh, who I think will, will be a real tough component. Cope for Zverev. Um, Zverev was getting that walkover in the quarterfinal. Perhaps conserving energy a little bit, but then I do feel like with Zverev, uh, the more he plays, perhaps the better better he is. Uh, and Kopfer had a fantastic week. Uh, if it wasn't for Massetti, I think Kopfer would be the, the standout player beating Ryanich on courts that really suit Ryanich's uh, playing style, I think. Uh, a really fast, uh, a hard court. We've seen Nick Kyrgios win this tournament. Nick Kyrgios, a, a similar-ish player to Ryanich, considering uh, if you take into account sort of the, the big serve and the power and everything. Um, so yeah, you know, a brilliant win to cope for and, and, a, and a match against Nori in the quarterfinal, which I expected Nori to win. So, um, yeah, I think that also could be a handful for Zverev. I'm not sure if we'll be seeing a, a Massetti cope for final, but I definitely feel there's a good chance we could see one of them in it. Yeah, a lot of interesting points brought up there. I definitely agree with you saying that, uh, Alexander Zverev, um, will play better the, the more regularly that he is playing. I definitely agree with that. And I think we've seen that as we've seen him put some solid runs together at, at Grand Slams in the more more recent past. Kurt for a, a great week as well. I, I thought it was a little older than 26. So uh, still plenty of time for development there. And uh, it looks like he'll probably kick on quite significantly from this uh, 71 ranking. I assume he may at least push the uh, early 60s, low 50s after, after this week, um, which I, I think would probably be up there with his career high. I think he might have been 50s or 60s before, but still, you know, some encouraging signs in the early stages of this year, of course. But yeah, then I think you've nicked, hit the nail on the head, really, with with Musetti. And, and the, yeah, the real big point to take from this is that we know he can do it on the hard courts now. We've spoken a lot about the Florindolo brothers in, in recent weeks and, whether or not whether or not they have the capabilities to do it on other surfaces, we have no idea because we haven't seen them on them yet. But you know, Musetti transferring that form on the ATP tour uh, main tour level on clay courts to do it on the hard courts of Acapulco is you know really impressive and um, you know definitely ups his ups his his stocks a little bit in our minds and I'm sure the rest of the tennis world as a threat. Um, so just looking ahead to these semi-finals Sitsipas had a really tough match against Felix Auger-Aliassime came through that one in a in a tightly fought deciding set so he's, he's had plenty of time on court this week but of course Musetti with the three wins in qualifying um you know has, has been in Acapulco quite a long time 
at 19, you know, I mean, why should he be complaining about tiredness? I'm, I'm sure, you know, he'll be really excited for this one. It, you know, going into it, it's definitely the biggest match of his career so far. In terms of predictions, I, I can see Massetti troubling Sitsipas more than I can Kurt Zverev. I'm not really sure as to why I think that. I just think Kurt might be a good enough player who can beat players sort of outside the top 40 in and around his own ranking when he's playing well. But when it comes to playing a, a you know a, a top 10 player and a you know a, t- a title winner like Zverev, I do think he might come up a little short. Um, but, you know, I definitely agree with you. There's definitely a chance that we, a strong chance that we don't see the top seed versus the second seed in this final. Uh, just to give my predictions, I'm going to go sit to pass in three sets against Massetti. I think quite a few times in the last few weeks, if we think about Rotterdam, Marseille, we've seen Sitsa pass sort of go a set up and put on the brakes a little bit or or go a set down even and, and um, not really get, get going until he really has to in matches. Um, and yeah, Musetti will be should be playing quite freely, quite quite stress free. No, there's not a lot of pressure on the Italian going into this one. Um, and yeah, I think Zverev wins this one in in straight sets against Kurtfer. Um, You know, he's had an excellent week and on his day could test Zverev, but I think the German, well, they're both German, but the uh, the higher ranked seven in the world German should have too much room on the day. How about you? Yeah, I'm going to sort of agree, but also disagree. Uh, agree in the sense that I'm going to go for the same winners. Um, however, I actually see Kofa being much more trouble for Zverev than I see Massetti being for Tsitsipas. I just think, you know, we've seen it so many times with Zverev. Um, you know, you sort of expect him to go. And, and to be fair, in fairness, we've seen this with Tsitsipas as well. Um, but I do feel that Zverev seems to do it a little bit more where you expect him to go out and win um, and he can make it quite hard for himself and I think I think Kofa a fantastic player he's, he's looks really good when he plays his best uh, he, he's really really tough to stop I've got a feeling that I need to have I've got a feeling he's a quarter finalist at the US Open isn't he Kofa I think it's fourth round off the top of my head but you could be okay. right it was 2019 yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember him, and I, at this point, I'd never really heard of the guy, and I know he does like to have these runs, and I think more with Massetti, some fantastic wins, don't get me wrong. The one against Dimitrov, however, you know, we never really know what to expect from Dimitrov, and I, I do just feel Sitsipas's experience uh, and talent will be a bit too much for him. I, I still think Zverev will be Kopfer, but I'm going to go the other way around to you. I'm going to say Zverev will beat him in three sets and Sitsipas will beat Massetti in straight sets. But as I said in my in my last bit, I think there's definitely a chance um, that, that either man could win in both matches. And, and that's not me trying to play it safe, but um, I just I think it's a, it's a really interesting tournament and, and there's some really interesting form going into it. So that concludes our, our verdict on the current uh, situation in Acapulco. Uh, moving on to Dubai, and we still have a, one semi-final on the way, un- underway, but uh, we definitely have one finalist that is another qualifier at a 500 tournament, just like Martin Fuchvitz in Rotterdam a couple of weeks back. 
and one that we really weren't expecting. I mean, we didn't even know that he'd made it through qualifying when we were making our predictions to this tournament. So maybe we would have had him to go a couple of rounds after we both had uh, we both had Dominic team to get to the final of this event. And that's Lloyd Harris, the South African player, recently turned 24 years old and has really come of age in this tournament. Um, for me, it wasn't too much of a surprise to see Dominic team go out early. Um, there was reports that he'd had a, an ongoing foot problem for the last sort of week or so. And even going into this tournament in Dubai, he'd already revealed that he wouldn't be playing in Miami and wanted to take some time off to prepare for the clay course season. So it's not a surprise to see him maybe a little half cooked going into this one. But there really have been some staggeringly good wins for Harris. At 24, he's definitely a player who, in my mind, last year, really looking for him to kick on as a, as a 23-year-old. And he couldn't really get going, couldn't really get past 80 in the rankings. I think he might have once and then fallen back down. Um, but, you know, he's managed to turn it around this year. So he is a player that we are going to have to definitely take seriously after all if this run is anything to go by. Uh, of course, with those two match wins in in qualifying that he came back from a set and a breakdown against Christopher O'Connell in the first round. I mean, if you could take him from that moment then and tell him that it would have been in the final when he was feeling probably as uh, disillusioned as he was going down to the Australian. He managed to come back, of course, and win that one, then beating Dominic Team in straights, then Filip Krajinovic in straights, who's a player who had a, you know, a solid week and showed some of the best tennis that we've seen from him this year in what has been a slow start. Uh, and, and then, of course, beating Kei Kori, the former world number four, in a, yeah, a three-set match in the quarterfinal. And then today, he's probably topped it for me. Um, you know, if you can talk down that the team win, the, the Nishikori win was huge because he's played some very good tennis in this sort of comeback period that we're seeing from the Japanese player. But Shapovalov was on great form. Um, you know, he absolutely dismantled Jan Lanard Struff in the in the first round. Um, I think Struff only took four games off him in that much. Then he beat Uber Herkash, who I know we both predicted the Polish player to get through there. And then Jeremy Shardy, arguably in the form of his in the form of his life. Um, so to be able to come back and win this one from a set and a breakdown, it must be said again against Denis Shapovalov, and record his seventh straight win of the week. You know, it really is incredible stuff from the South African. And it won that tie break 8-6. It was really, really tense. Um, both players really tired. It was a great match, well over two and a half hours. Um, so, I mean, what a week. I, for one, wasn't expecting it. I, I know he beat Vavrenka a couple of weeks ago, but that didn't, uh, that really, didn't really infuse me as much as maybe it would on paper. Um, so, yeah, I... I've kind of ha had this guy as a as a potentially top player last couple of years, but he really hasn't done it. He's really been inconsistent and flattered to deceive. And now finally at 24, he's showing signs that he's uh you know he's got the game to mix it with the very best. Yeah, it's an interesting one with uh, Lloyd Harris. He um, I was looking earlier. He entered the top 200 uh, in August 2018. Uh, within six months, had progressed his way into the top 100. Uh, I think two years ago, practically, uh, it was February 2019. Um, so two years and a month ago that he made it into the top 100. But then since then, he, he's, he's sort of staggered. I think he's, I'm, I'm not sure of his career high, but he sort of fluctuated around that sort of 
just inside the top 100 mark, maybe been a little bit higher a couple of times. I know he's made one final uh, in Adelaide, I think it was. I'm not sure what year that was. I'm, I'm assuming that was either last year or 2019, um, in which he lost to uh, Andre Rublev, who is a potential final opponent uh, for him at the moment, depending on how this second semi-final that looks on a knife edge is going to go. Um but yeah, I think it's fantastic to see this from Harris. I remember watching him uh, possibly the only time I've really watched a full match of Harris uh, at Wimbledon uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, the last Wimbledon played in 2019. He played Federer in the first round. He actually won the first set of Federer um, before going on to lose quite heavily in the, the, the next three sets. But I mean, it was quite clear from then, the ability this guy has. He has a lot of weapons. He's got a brilliant serve. He's got a fantastic return. Watching his uh, match against Shapovalov earlier, he was hitting some amazing returns, you know, shots that I, I didn't really think I, I could see him make. And, and they were just fantastic, you know, sort of hitting them way, way to the side of a double line. They're just sort of creeping in in the, in the back corner. It was It was really, really good stuff to watch from him. And uh, Nishikori, um, I heard the commentators today saying that Nishikori said in their post-match interviews uh, that he believes Lloyd Harris has top 10 potential. And obviously, this is someone who's been number three in the world, I think, Nishikori, possibly four. Um, you know, so he, he knows what it takes to be a top 10 player. If he's saying that Lloyd Harris has the potential to get there, then then I'm sure he does have the potential to get there. Um, so, yeah, just, just really, really infused about... Uh, how Lloyd Harris has played this week and, and, and excited to see him in the final. Um, I know we'll come on to talk about this semi-final uh, going on once it's done. I think either way, Lloyd Harris is probably the underdog uh, against either Rublev or Karatasev. It's not one that I'd expect him to win, but um, who knows, you know, it will be the, the perfect story, I think, of Harris if he could win that final, you know, coming through qualifying, uh, and then coming through as an underdog in the final, it, it'll be brilliant. And I think we'll, we'll surely see him at a career-high ranking next week, um, I would think. I, I don't know if he would get inside the top 50, but you, you, you'd hope, you'd think he'd probably be around the, the sort of 60 to 50 mark, if not the top 50. Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, really, really pleased for, for Lloyd Harrison, hoping that this can be the start of sort of a, a kick up the rankings, which potentially is a little bit overdue considering uh, his rise as a, a 21 and 22-year-old. Yeah, uh, his career high is 72. So, yeah, a little, uh, yeah, just, just not very flattering given the how early it was that he burst onto the scene. 81 in the world currently. So I think, yeah, he'll probably be between 50 and 60 next come come next week um while we wait for possibly a very exciting conclusion in the other semi-final i think the, the next player that deserves a lot of kudos in this uh in this tournament in, in dubai is a player that we've already talked about quite a lot this year and at, at 34 you said it you think he's playing the best in his whole career jeremy shardy with three deciding set victories over albert ramos vinolas alex demenor and karen hatchinov some really sensational victories in there before losing of course to denis shapovalov but the frenchman is is really playing some excellent stuff at the moment he's got a very consistent serve a lovely lovely methodical uh, very technically sound serving action which is maybe a some of the reason why he's managed to say so injury-free over the years. But yeah, Jeremy Shardy doing it again 
in another 500 tournament and uh, yeah, ruining the chances of younger players like Alex Dimonor and Karen Hatchinov as a result. Yeah, fantastic to see from the 34-year-old uh, playing some really good tennis. I watched him uh, against Karen Hatchinov. And I thought he looked really, really good. You know, it's, I've seen quite a bit of Shardy play. You know, he's, he's been around uh, for a long time now. So I've seen a, a lot of his, a, a lot of matches with Shardy. And I, I do feel like that match, I, I was seeing some of the best tennis I've seen from him. Um, we see a lot of players who do sort of develop in their later years. Um, you know, or not that Jeremy Shardy wasn't an established player already. But I am starting to wonder if, you know, the, the way he's playing, if he can keep it up for a little bit longer, he might actually be able to sort of produce some of the best results he's had. I mean, he's surely got a few titles. Um, I know he hasn't won any titles yet this year, but um, just relatively, you know, against the players he's playing against at the moment, he's, he's doing really well. Um, Demoner, Hatchinoff, you know, very, very hard wins for anyone. Um, him doing it so effortlessly... Um, well, I, I'm not effort, effortlessly. He's been going through in a deciding sets, but then that's a testament to him. You know, at 34 years old, he's a veteran of the sport and he's still getting through these really long and tough matches, which, uh, you know, in, sort of in the style of a, a Roberto Bautista, a good, you know, it's good to see, you know, when, when you get players in their latter years and they're really battling through matches and not too dissimilar players, Shardy and Bautista are good. Bautista just probably with the the more esteemed career in terms of uh, achievements and that. But, uh, yeah, no, uh, great to see Shardy playing well at uh, the age of 34, a man that uh, Marcus and I have, have shared a restaurant with. And uh, I know that the um, the result has just come through with that other semi-final, uh, a big, big result uh, with, well, I'll, I will let Marcus as host uh, introduce the, the other semi-final. Just lastly on Jeremy Shardy, I think we've lost the presence of an older battling Frenchman in, in Gilles Simon for the time being. Uh, so Jeremy Shardy's doing all he can to sort of make up for the lost presence of the tour of, of course, his countrymen. But yes, of course, you lead me on to this. And Andre Rublev's run of 23 wins on the ATP 500 level has come to an end at the feet of Aslan Karatsev. The 27-year-old player who broke into the top 100 for the first time as a 27-year-old and then stormed to an Australian Open semi-final will meet Lloyd Harris in the final of uh, the, the Dubai 500 and look to win his first tour title. I mean, this is some of the most incredible rapid rise I've ever seen from a player, particularly of his age. Uh, you know, I mean, Felix Auger-Aliassime raced through the top 100, as did Yannick Sinner in the last few years. But Aslan Karatsev to do it at 27, and the tennis he's playing is, is mind-blowing. I've, I've had the pleasure of watching him this week. You know, he's had deciding set wins against Dan Evans, Yannick Sinner, Lorenzo Sonego, and now Andre Rublev. I mean, it really is some quality tennis coming from coming from Karatsev, who's now in, in the 40s in the rankings. Maybe he'll be pushing top 30 after this week. He's got a very unique style as well, which, of course, is, is great to see. You know, he really adds to the tennis complement of, of stars that we have at the moment. And, yeah, I, I'm running out of things to say about, about Karatsev. He comes in probably as, as the favourite for the final. And, yeah, what a great player he's been to watch so far this year. And hopefully they'll be for, for much longer as well. 
Yeah, I'm just putting a, a tweet out now on the at tennis fanalist uh, um, Twitter page, uh, a retweet saying that the lion keeps roaring, uh, Mr. Aslan. Uh, I, I'm just so surprised at how he backed his performance in Australia up. You know, I, I think to me, it just really felt like I, did, I didn't want to say it at the time because you don't, you don't want to take it away from someone. But for me, it just very much felt like a sort of out of nowhere kind of run. And, and then we just, not that Marcus Willis's run at Wimbledon was anywhere near as sort of amazing as as uh, as Ankaratsev was in terms of getting into a semi-final. But when we saw Marcus Willis ranked sort of 700 and something getting to Wimbledon second round, it's not quite comparable, but then he just sort of faded afterwards. And I kind of just thought that would be what happened with Karatsev after getting to the semi-final. I didn't really, well, you know, I, I, I was expecting Sim round on the ATP tour, but I, I just didn't think he would have the ability to back up uh, the results that, that he showed in Australia, but he really has. Um, receiving that wild card into Doha and, and giving Dominic Team uh, the top seed of that event a, a really good match. And now at Dubai, um, defeating fantastic players. Uh, Dan Evans, a very on-form Dan Evans, you know, a guy who played the week before against Roger Federer and played one of the best matches I've seen Dan Evans play. Um, and then, as you say, Yannick Sinner, a brilliant win who was playing fantastic tennis and but this standout one against Rublev obviously I haven't watched it but that's a that's an amazing win uh, a really amazing win very nearly won the set by a double break uh, Rublev tried to launch a, a bit of a comeback on but uh, didn't come off but you know ranked at 42 Kratsev uh, that'll be a career high for him obviously and now he's going to just keep pushing on and as I say I'm just so surprised that he's really backing that Australian Open result up. And, you know, if, if he can keep getting better, you know, the, the way that he's playing, the way that he played in Australia and the way that he's playing now, if he continues backing this up and he keeps getting better and he keep it up for the best part of the rest of the year, you know, we could be seeing this guy at the O2 at the end of the year. But, uh, I, know, I know, you know, it's perhaps a little bit far to say top eight at the end of the year, but... The, but what I'm saying is, at the moment, in the race to London, oh, oh no, it's not London anymore, is it? I um, can't remember, is it Zurich now? Or Turin? I think Turin. Um, but whatever. I mean, he's right up there at the moment. He's in the top eight because of his Australian Open result. Uh, he's going to keep that up after this result, a match that I expect him to beat Harris in the final, the way he's playing. It's very plausible that we see this guy actually becoming a serious contender in, in the top 10, 20 uh, players in, in the world. And it's not something I thought I'd be saying even after that fantastic Australian Open one. So, uh, you know, a massive kudos to him. I think when you're a player ranked as low as he was, when you have a result like that in the Australian Open, I think there's probably a massive temptation, especially sort of his age being in the middle of his career, there's probably a massive temptation just to sort of sit back and sort of soak up the glory a little bit. But he's quite clearly using it all as a massive motivation just to keep pushing on and keep being hungry. And it, it really is just mind-blowing what we're seeing from Kratzev at the moment. Um, by far, uh, the, the player of the year, in my mind. The, the, uh, not when I say player of the year, I don't mean inability. Obviously, you know, Djokovic winning the, the Australian Open. I, I just mean that the standout player of the year, the one that has taken the tennis world by storm is... is 
Julian, this man is amazing to see. I've never, I don't remember uh, ever. It's, it's very amazing. Yeah, I'm glad you touch on the sort of human aspect, of course, making that Australian Open semi-final, having been ranked, I think it was 114 going into that tournament. Um, now, you know, it, it all came as a surprise, but I think in terms of money terms, you know, in terms of financial terms, players on the Challenger Tour, and it doesn't seem a very fashionable lifestyle, I think. Um I hadn't even seen Karatsev really dominating even at that level before the Australian Open. So in terms of the money that he received from the Australian Open compared to what he was on at Challenger is absolutely life-changing. Um, so to see his motivation drop off after that, or at least, um, yeah, just revel in, in the success and I don't know, just concentrate on on setting up his life after that would not have been a surprise. I, I think he took a week or two off afterwards. We didn't see him until last week in Doha. Um, but yeah, I, I'm just glad you, you brought that up because it is a credit to the guy that after this, he's still going for it so hard and playing such good tennis and really making a career for himself that feels like it started age 27. Um, you know, I mean... Uh, we definitely keep a close eye on the Challenger Tour. I'm sure many people do, but I haven't even seen Karatsev play. Uh, I'm not sure many people even would have had the joys of of watching this guy play. And as I mentioned, you know, he has a very unique style that we... I, I don't really have anyone that I can really liken him to. Um, you know, he has very, very loose wrists, I think. He creates some insane angles on the, on the tennis court. Um you know, you can just sort of snap that wrist, wrist and knock a ball cross court that's sort of like in the service box and hit a winner. It's uh, really incredible. He's got a great wingspan. He does also keep it simple, I, I see, kind of on serve. You know, he serves very well. He's got a very good serve and a very good forehand. He's got a huge forehand. And if you can keep those two shots firing, tennis can be a very simple game at times. Um, so I think, you know, that that's definitely helped him in this run um but yeah it's, it's just an incredible player and yeah i'm so glad that we've got to see him so early in this year as well i think when you say you can't liken him to a player and i completely understand what you're saying i i think the only player i can think of that i can liken him to is stan Mavrinka when he's at his best you know when when we see stan Mavrinka at his best winning grandstands we see him pulling off the the most ridiculous of shots that you just wouldn't you wouldn't even see Djokovic, Nadal, Federer and Murray do, you know, they're just absolutely insane shots. And I, I, that's, the, that's the only player that I feel that you could closely liken him to. The other thing I was going to say was, and I think maybe this uh, is an indicator of perhaps why I shouldn't be so surprised um, that he is doing well, is that when he, he played, um, was doing so well at the Australian Open, it was just so amazing how calm the guy was. He was just... When he got interviewed, he was just—he was just too cool. He was just kind of like, "Oh yeah, you know, yeah, it's all good." You know, Australian Open semi, you know, just head down. And he's—and I think that's probably a massive reason as to why he's able to back it up and, and go on and do well because he's the sort of guy who perhaps hasn't got carried away. He's gone back. He's—he speaks like, well, especially at the Australian Open, he was speaking like 
he always knew that he was going to end up at a semi-final in a Grand Slam, even though sort of this time last year he was playing sort of challenger challenger level tennis. So what I say this time last year, there all of the tennis was stopping. But uh, you know what I mean. And um, yeah, I, I just I'm so impressed with the guy. I, I'm just I, yeah, as you say, I'm running out. As you said, you're running out of words to describe him. So am I. Um, but yeah, the, looking forward to that final against Harris. Not not uh, writing Harris off completely, but I do just think Kratsev is, is a completely different animal at the moment. Um, yeah, but yeah, lion by name, lion by nature. Yeah, 14 out of 16 wins if, for Karatsev if you go back to the start of Australian Open qualifying. And uh, those two losses have come to Novak Djokovic and Dominic Team. So I think we can forgive though, them uh, a little bit. And yeah, I, I hadn't even thought of considering him to uh, push to make the end of year ATP Tour finals. But his name's right in the hat, particularly after this run, of course, backing up his Australian Open success. I'm going to ask you for a quick prediction. I think these players have battled out in so many deciding sets this week already that I think this final is just destined to get there. I completely agree with you. I think Karatsev is the strong favourite and is playing much better tennis at the moment. But given that he's been taken to a deciding set by Dan Evans, who did not play very well, to be honest, it was it was not a vintage Dan, Evan, Dan Evans performance that managed to push Karatsev quite far in uh, that match, second round, I believe it was. And also Lorenzo Sonego, who hasn't done too much really this year. Um, so just looking at those results on paper, Maybe that'll suggest that, you know, there are chinks in the armour of of the animal. Yeah, as then Karatsev, um, but I'm going to go for him in, in three sets. Not much else to say. I'm just, I'm going to agree with you on that. Uh, the, the temptation to go for Karatsev in straight sets is there. But as you say, just sort of looking at those results, um, he, if he's found it tough against players like, Evans and, and Senego, I do think he'll find it tough against the very informed uh, Lloyd Harris. So, yeah, I'll agree with you. Three sets on uh, Karatsev. Okay, um, that concludes the Karatsev loving for this episode. I'm sure there'll be more coming uh, as the season progresses. I've just got four players written down that I think deserve a little bit of praise on this week. Two of which, well, maybe three of which, or arguably all four of them actually, are players that haven't done any better than we expected. But to me, uh, me not thinking they've done any better than I expected kind of speaks volumes to how well they're playing at the moment. Um, the first is Taylor Fritz, who I kind of singled out last week saying I was a bit disappointed to see him lose to Basil Ashvili in the second round, um, semi, second round semi-final of Doha, which of course the Georgian player went on to win. He managed to get revenge in the second round this week in Dubai, winning winning that match in a third set tiebreak, a really good comeback after losing the first set and then lost to Andre Rublev in the match after that. So, yeah, a little bit of forgiveness from me for Fritz. Um, you know, he, he is playing well at the moment. Then, of course, the inform Hungarian Marton Fuchvitz, who came back from a set and a breakdown against Vasak Pospisil in the first round. Um and then he beat uh, Pablo Carreno Busta, the US Open two-time semi-finalist in the three sets in the next round. And then beat Dusan Lajevic in another uh, match that went to the distance before losing out to familiar foe Rublev. 
And then the next two players I've got, Dennis Shapovalov, who I think will be very disappointed for losing against Lloyd Harris today after being a set and a break-up, was a huge opportunity. He's lost 10 of 11 semi-finals at ATP Tour level now, Shapovalov, which is, yeah, maybe there's some mental toughness, composure, some, some butterflies, some nerves that I think we can maybe tap into for that. But had a decent week, battered Struff in the first round, then beat Uber Herkash in straight sets, which I know we both predicted the pole to win. And then, of course, Jeremy Shardy in straights also. And the last being Yannick Sinner, who took um, took on a, re- a really good comeback against informed Kazakhstani player Alexander Bublik in the first round, winning that in three sets. Then beating Roberto Alp- Baltista are good in, in three sets. The finalist, of course, in Doha, winning that final set 7-5, really was an epic match. And then he pushed Aslan Karatsev all the way, lost in a deciding set. So an impressive week, nonetheless, for the 19-year-old, though maybe he didn't make it as far as he would have liked. Um, anything anything to offer on, on those four players, Michael? You know, it, it really has been an enjoyable tournament in Dubai for me this week. Yeah, always made more enjoyable when it's being shown as well on Amazon Prime. So a little bit of a with the tennis, one eye on the tennis uh, always. Um, One player I was uh, just going to pick up from what we said uh, was Taylor Fritz. Good week from him, yes. Um, Although I would think that Basil Ashbury was probably feeling it a little bit, one of um, you know, after winning that tournament last week uh, and a bit of a grinding match uh, against Fritz to go the distance. Uh, and, and Fritz did really get quite pummeled by uh, Andre Rublev in that uh, third round, I think it was. Uh, Fritz only winning four games. Uh, so I think perhaps in my eyes, I, I don't see it as a massively impressive week from the American, but you know, I, I suppose getting over the line against a player you've lost to the week before in any respect, I suppose, is a big achievement um, when you've got that loss at the back of your head. Uh, and then, yeah, just the other player that, uh, that I was going to pick up on was, yeah, Yannick Sinner. Um, I, I felt a little bit more reassured. He's the guy that I, I really, really have bigged up at the end of last year, beginning of this year, predicting him to sort of be in sort of challenging for the top 10 at the end of the year. I'm maybe starting to think perhaps it might not quite come off with losses to um, uh, Alias Bedini, uh, Bedene, I think, uh, in the first round of Montpellier, I think it was. Um, and uh, and then, yeah, since he, he's, he's maybe not looked as convincing, uh, yeah, a free sets win, a very tough free sets win uh, against Barret, I think is how you say it, or Barret of France. Um so, yeah, but I, I was a bit more reassured this week to see him fight back against Bublik and, and RBA, Bautista, one of the, the on-form players of the tour this year. Um, yeah, that's that's all I have to say on other players, really. Um, it has been an enjoyable tournament, as, as you say. Um, it's, I think all of it's always been really pick a clear winner out of, you know, there, there's a good pool of about, eight or nine players, maybe even more than that, who could win it. And I think that's really example by the fact you've got two unseeded players in the final in, in uh, Lloyd George Harris and Aslan Kratzev.
Yeah, so that brings us to the end of the coverage of the tour this week. Been very enjoyable, and we look forward to those two finals. But to finish off the episode, as always, this time it's Michael who's going to be testing my knowledge with a guest, the player. Yeah, just going to make sure I've got no typos in these clues because I, I did it whilst walking back from my run earlier. Um, okay, right. I've, I've done six clues. Um, I was telling Marcus uh, on, on our DMs that uh, I, I do enjoy writing the guest of players as sad as it is. Uh, so I do quite like to include the, the extra clue. First clue. I won my first ATP title on clay. Right, first. As vague so, as ever. So he's won more than more than one. Um, well, no, that, that doesn't necessarily mean mean so. If you've okay. only won one, it's still you your spec- first. Specified that it was on clay, so it makes me think that they've done it on other surfaces. First one on clay. Um, who's decent multi-service surfaces? Who's around at the moment? First on clay, but maybe one one on hard before. Stefanos sits a pass. Yeah, not a bad guess. Uh, not Stefanos sits a pass. Uh, second clue. I reached my career high in 2014. All oh, right, okay. Steve Johnson. Hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably not a bad guess to be fair. A, a friend, uh, uh, an Australian. No, a US player, sorry, I'll get there eventually. He's not too bad on, on the slower courts. Um, but no, I think he's won, his, he's won the uh, US clay court championships a good two or three times. Um, second, uh, third clue, I am a former Wimbledon quarter-finalist. Okay, Wimbledon quarter-finalist, career-high Wimbo. 2014. Uh, Philip Kohlschreiber. Mm, good guess. Uh, not Philip Kohlschreiber. I reckon the clues probably do match up. I feel like Kohlschreiber is one of those guys who's probably never been in a quarterfinal of a slam, though. I don't know. He's just one of those guys. Is third, third round. He had a run at Wimbledon one year. Okay, fair okay. enough. He possibly has made a quarterfinal. Uh, but no, not Philip Kohlschreiber. Um... Clue four will go for, I am 35 years old. 35 years old, okay. Makes it a bit more interesting. Yeah, Wimbledon quarterfinal 2012, Philip Carl Schreiber. Okay, fair enough. Fair uh, enough. Well done, Philip. 35 I'm years sorry old. To, I'm sorry to uh, dampen your, um, your achievements. Wimbledon quarterfinalist. Let's see you. There isn't much of a clay grass crossover in general, really. Um, older player. Imagine they might be quite low ranked. Germans tend to be decent on grass and occasionally all right on on uh, clay. I know I've already said Kohlschreiber. Um, can't really think of another one that's, that's sort of lower ranked unless they're still just hanging about. Um or well, maybe the first title on clay is is quite random. Um, it's, it's something that, yeah. See, John Isner springs to mind now, but he's definitely made a semi-final at Wimbledon, so no point going that, that way. But age-wise, he's 35, 36, definitely. 
Um, got no idea when this quarterfinal is, so it may, may well have been a tournament that I wasn't really um, hyper concentrated on. So let's go for... I see 35. I'm just thinking of players that I know are older than 35. So maybe if I think of someone I think is early 30s, they might have actually been that old. Anyway, uh, let's go Fernando Vadasco. Uh, yeah, but I mean, probably not a, a bad guess, uh, but not Fernando Vadasco. Uh, clue five. I beat Joe Wilfred Songa in four sets in 2014 when my nation won the Davis Cup final. Right. Um, doesn't really narrow it down, to be honest. I'm not a big Davis Cup fan anymore. I mean, it's I lost it, its... I think it does, I think it does narrow it down a little bit. Because you can think sort of more like it's it's not going to be someone from like a random nation, is it? If I know, yeah, Davis. but yeah, yeah, I suppose Czech Republic won uh, won um, the Davis Cup not not so many years ago. To be a thirty five year old right now, Argentina, of course, thirty five year old. I don't think Del Potro's that old, but he could be. Think he's made a semi-final. Um, obviously, it's not Britain. Uh, Del Potro's got to be a shout, but career high twenty fourteen might match up thirty five. Potentially, I don't quite think he's that old. But I'm going to go for it anyway. It's the only name in my head. Juan Martin Del Potro. I think Del Potro is a few years younger than 35, as you say. Um, so, yeah, not Del Potro. Sixth clue. If you don't get it on this one, I'll be very, very upset that you are hosting a tennis podcast. Uh, I'm a three-time Grand Slam champion. Oh, fair enough. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, I, I can't have been concentrating when Switzerland won the Davis Cup. I didn't, don't have that one to mind. Um, yeah, the rest doesn't really surprise me. Yeah, one of the only sort of 35-year-olds in the top 100 must be of that age, unless Isner is as well. But yeah, it's got to be Stan Vavrenka. What a, what a legend. Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd go for a, a bit more of a sort of well-known player, but sort of throw some clues in that, that weren't so clear. I, I thought maybe the Davis Cup one might steer in the right direction. With obviously, you think they've got to be from a nation that has a player uh, from that nation who is also a very, very good player. Uh, in, in of course, being Roger Federer. Um, but I think your your guess has made a lot of sense. I, I know Del Potro is a little bit younger than thirty five, but I do think the other the other um, clues were definitely applicable to Del Potro. Del Potro might have made a Wimbledon quarterfinal, a uh, semi-final, as you say. I'm not yeah, sure. I think it was a semi, that incredible one with Djokovic, uh, that classic mm -hmm. five-setter, I think was a semi-final. Um, but, you know, <laughs> not 100% sure. We can leave Got to say, I've, uh, got to say I've forgotten it. After, after the episode.
Yeah, no, that's fair enough. Well, that's your player of the the your your guest the player. Um, Stammer Brinker, a player who we spoke quite a bit about on the the last podcast, perhaps uh, is fading away a little bit from uh, from the days that we used to know, but potentially a guy that could still uh, ruffle a few feathers in in the big tournaments. I think. Um, but yeah, very well done uh, for getting. Well, I say very well done. The last clue was obvious. So I'm not going to say very well done, but there you go. Stammer Brinker. Yeah, I can't take any huge uh, plaudits on that one. Hope I did myself justice. I thought Steve Johnson was a worldie of a guess at one point. but <laughs> Maybe Cole Schreiber plucks out of thin air, but no, not, not to be this time. Um, yeah, that brings us to the end of this episode. Really, really excited for the final of Dubai now. A bit of a, a hipster's choice final between Harris and Karatsev. Um, but yeah thanks for listening and uh, yeah do share if you're feeling generous and uh, yeah stay safe